welcome to Say Smart, a literary podcast for readers and non-readers, where Sarah breaks down the plots of some pretty wild books for me, Hope. My name is Hope, and I love to talk. And I'm Sarah, and I love to read. And, and this is definitely the first time we did the intro, and we did not have to do it several times. So, no. We're just going to go balls to the walls and yes. just we're going to go with our hearts and yeah. our minds and our spirits. And we're going to try and prove to ourselves that we can make a second episode of our podcast. That's not going to be an hour and 40 minutes long. Um, which is why we chose the Viscount who loved me by Julia Quinn for this episode. Um, and just our content warnings before we get at all started, um, there is sexual content. Um, it's not super descriptive this time around as it has been or will be, but there's also death of a parent and panic attacks involved with this. So, um, yeah, and bees, spoiler and bees, there are bees, there are, um, thunderstorms there are all sorts of weird moments in sexual environments um but before we get started i want to just review the goodreads and story graph ratings because i want to i want to tap on these each time because i think it's interesting story graph has a 3.85 rating whereas goodreads has a 4. Uh, sorry 4.04 i could not apparently say numbers there for a second out of five which is pretty good for pretty historical high. like i always feel like historical romance and rom-coms always kind of get a bad rep for having cheesy plot lines so therefore people give them more of a mediocre score so the fact that this is a four star essentially is is pretty solid um i will disclose that i gave it four out of five stars when i initially oh. read it I did the horrible thing where uh, Hope and I watched season two of Bridgerton together. Yes, um, we did. In a single day. One day. I was about to disclose to the audience that I have a vague sense of what will happen in this book because I have watched the show. And I think many of our people who listen have either watched the show, read the books, or both. Sure. And so I wanted us to do this book because there are so many differences between the book and the show for this season. And if you watch the season, but you're like, I'm curious to know what we missed in the book that we could have gotten in the show, I will disclose that to you because there are many moments that I feel like we should have gotten. Um, but before we dive too far in, I did the thing where I was, well, I watched season two with you, Hope, and then I thought, I'm going to read all these books. And I skipped book number one. So I will disclose, I have read seven of the eight books and I still have The Duke and I, I just have not read it. This so, is a safe and honest space, and it's okay that you have not read that book yet. Look, Neither have I. I. <laughs> I, I. We will cover other Bridgerton books because they are, I think historical romance is so fun because they're just the wildest plots, and um, there's no need for them to be that wild, but they are. But before we get into it, I want to talk about Julia Quinn really quick because she is the epitome of like early 2000s, late 90s historical romance they are the mass paperback that your grandma has a bunch of them in a drawer near her nightstand they are those mini books that have like a shirtless man holding a woman with a ripped bodice like that is the epitome of historical romance in the early 2000s and then also julia quinn bought into that so much now there's a lot of the complex 
complicated elements of this too, where it's notorious for bad representation, right? Very mm-hmm. white, very straight, very borderline toxic masculinity in these books. Um, obviously they're written by women. So they're a little bit better men than actually probably were in the 1800s. But true. yeah, but our, our homegirl, uh, Julie Quinn actually went to Harvard and she was going to become a doctor and she kept putting it off and then was writing historical romances. And she was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this because it sounds easier than being a doctor. And Relatable. she on her website, it says that she's working to dispel this ter- stereotype that smart women don't read or write romance, which same girl. Love that. Men to that. So there are more than 20 million physical copies of her books in the United States alone, which is wild to me that there are that many physical copies, not ebooks or audiobooks either. Right. And in December of 2020, like right during the pandemic, like we're all like hunkering down for the holidays. It, we got the first season of Bridgerton, which aired um, as the showrunner and the writer was Shonda Rhimes, which is notorious for like scandal. And did she do Grey's Anatomy, I'm thinking. I believe that is a yes. Shonda Land as well. Yes. Yeah. So Shonda Land took this over. And what I love and I give in it later on in a description for my rating of diversity is that I am going to give them a middle marker for diversity because the book is very white, is very mm-hmm. not diverse, but obviously the show is super diverse. So I'm going to sit back and explain this story. And I want you all to imagine Jonathan Bailey as our Viscount and Please. obviously Simone Ashley as our Kate. Um, I'm in love with both of them. Also, nothing better than Jonathan Bailey being our main male lead, who is a a male character written by a woman played by a gay man. So in the first month, the first season of Bridgerton played in 82 million households, which is yes. including insane. mine and yours. And yes. probably, and hopefully everyone here. Hopefully everybody here. So before we get into the plot of our book, I want to ask Hope to recap what she experienced in season two um, that was given to us by Shondaland. Um, And then I'll kind of get into the plot and how we had a whole different experience from the book. Yes. So for disclosure, again, to the audience, uh, we did watch all of season two in one day. Also, it was to celebrate my engagement. And so a lot of things were happening at once. There was a lot of talking, uh, memories, a little bit vague, but I did my best to uh, search my brain and also the internet to help me remember some of the things that happened in the season and just kind of some fun facts and figures about it. Um, Season two launched uh, in really in May of 2022 and it had eight episodes. So that's the same as the first season. Um, No differences there. I have a couple more fun facts on the viewing of uh, both the first and second season. The second one had, um, according to Netflix, 627 million hours viewed between March 25th and April 17th, which is 23 days. Um, For comparison, season one had uh, 625 million hours viewed in the first 28. So surpassed season one and surpassed it in less time which I don't find particularly surprising because we all love season one. So naturally, I imagine we all got really excited to see season two. A couple of notes specific to season two, um, which 
will also be addressed in some of the stuff that Sarah's going to talk about with the book is that a couple of the episodes are named um, with direct reference to the book. The first episode of the season is called the capital R rake, which is a nod to uh, a column in the first chapter that lady Whistledown writes. Um, the very last chapter is named after the book. It's called the Viscount who loved me. Um, core takeaways. I of course can't really speak to how this is different from the book because I have not read the book, but what I know from my own experience and from general looking in is that there was a lot of disappointment about the lack of sex scenes in the second season. Um, not a, not a whole lot of sex happening compared to the first season. Lots of people very upset about that. Um, additionally, and this is with a little bit of guidance from Sarah, because I would not have known the, the difference, but in the second season in general, you'll have uh, Daphne is more of a sounding board for Anthony. Um, that is apparently not the case in the book, though. Again, I don't have any specific context for that. Um, in, in general, the second season, just to kind of quick recap our scenario from the show's point of view. So we open, uh, we know that Anthony is looking for marriage, but not love because he can't be with his opera girlfriend from the first season. And he's very sad about that. Super disappointing. So he's like, let's make this business transaction. Let's be getting married. Beautiful. Um, we know that Kate is coming in with her sister, Edwina. Um, Edwina is going to be introduced to society. Kate is not because she establishes her words, not mine, that she is a decrepit old hag at the ripe age of 26. So Which also as somebody old. who is currently 26 turning 27 this week, I feel personally assaulted by that. So, and as somebody who's 31, I honestly just don't want to talk about it. Um, incredible, but she's over the hill old maid. It's not about her getting married. It's about Edwina getting married. Um, premise wise, it's important that Edwina gets married for some financial reasons. I think we'll talk more about that in the book, but that is established in this season. Um, they do, uh, Kate and Anthony meet in, as soon as the first episode, uh, not really knowing each other with some slight interest. And then by the end of the first episode, before we get into the season, know that they already hate each other. And that's sort of like a good, I think, premise set for the scenario that we enter when we watch it from the show's perspective. Yes. Yes. And um, kind of the whole thing when I think you kind of get into with your your explanation here is like Edwina and Kate have this really close relationship here and they don't um, they, they, they have this kind of sibling rivalry and like fallout when it comes around that like, you know, Edwina gets engaged to Anthony, like there's an entire engagement and then Anthony like and Kate obviously gets seen at the wedding like picking up bangles and oh it's so sexy and <laughs> scandalous when you pick up a bangle don't even and get me started all of a sudden it comes to light that in him picking up the bangle that he's having an affair with her sister and there's this huge falling out between the sisters right there's an entire wedding scene which whenever I do a rewatch I completely skip the wedding episode because it's so painfully long of just everybody standing around waiting for something to happen and that is my biggest gripe about the season also whatever little underwear set Simone Ashley wears when they finally do have sex on that little like outdoor area being, tell me if I'm correct I remember it being purple is that right yeah like purple and silky I so just cute. want that set so bad yes. and not that I have anybody to show it to or anything I just want the set like as a little pajama set or something anyway not important but like then there's this whole setup that they they have to essentially 
revive the family image because of this fallout and like the queen yes. was heavily involved in the wedding and blah 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 like yes. i <laughs> the way that these two plot lines just go so far off track is incredible I can't wait to find out how off track it is because in my head, it is all how it goes. So it'll be very fun to see where things kind of veer off the path of the book. Well, and will you tell them a little bit about also like the financial situation with, oh. with, with the stepmom? Yes. So um, point made in the first episode and shed light on a little bit later. Good to know for the overall premise. So um, Kate and Edwina are you know, in, in town Ready, ready to introduce Edwina. We do know that Edwina needs to get married. We find out later that the reason why Edwina needs to get married, in addition to not being a decrepit 26 years old, is that their family needs money. Um, they are with their stepmom. Her stepmom or their stepmom is estranged from her own parents. Um, and the deal is that if Edwina doesn't marry English nobility, then the stepmother, I believe her name is Mary, um, her parents will not give them like inheritance and money that they need. And the reason they're withholding that money is because uh, years and years back, they made a match for their daughter, Mary, and she did not follow through with that match. So the stakes are that they will be essentially destitute um, if Edwina doesn't get married into English nobility. And uh, she needs to have just the right match to be able to do that. Spoiler alert right now, that is not at all a thing in the book. That is absolutely not even a plot line. It's not, there are no parents involved to my understanding. Like, I, like, there's this whole thing about how Mary had married, obviously, Kate's biological father. She right. um, is not Mary's biological daughter. But it was kind of like this weird, like, oh, I can't believe you married somebody below you. That, mm -hmm. like, I... I just did a reread and unless I read too fast, I do not see that how that was a thing, but let's get into the book. Yes. Um, as we said, this is the second book of the Bridgerton series. The first one focusing on Daphne, but the second one is on Anthony and he's the eldest brother in the first line of the book. It's revealed that Anthony believes he's going to die young, um, <laughs> which like morbid. Okay. Um, self-prophesizing here I have, uh, as, a, as a quick question um and also for my own age purposes does it say how old he is he's about to get into his 30s i think he's like 28 29 hmm. i think he's 29 um yes. okay. but he it's like the whole first chapter is how he's so he was so close with his father his father was an amazing man he was tough and strong and caring and loving and like the best dad ever but um, when Anthony was 18, he was home before he had to go to school in Oxford and he came across uh, or he came from home from riding with his brothers when he found his sister in the hall just absolutely sobbing. And she reveals that their dad died from a bee sting, which note that this is different from the show when he's with his dad in the garden and sees his dad get stung yes. by a bee. Um, yes. It is true that their mother was pregnant and like almost giving birth at the time that her husband died. So the youngest um, kid didn't even meet their father. Right. So that is a plot line where Anthony really had to step up after his dad died and take care of at 18. He had to take care of all the affairs of the family. He had to take care of his mother who was grieving immensely because it's very well known that Violet and Edmund were a love match. They got married very young. Mm -hmm. Edmund, I think was 20 
when they had their first kid because he was 38 when he died. And that timeline of like 38 becomes important because Anthony in his mind thinks I cannot live past 38. My dad was so good of a man and so great of a man. I will never be as good as him. Therefore, I cannot see living past him, which is like such a trauma that I would not even imagine being a thing. But I don't want to judge people's trauma. It's a trauma, but it's also a nonsense because your dad is that dad of a bee sting and not from being a good person, but not a good enough person to keep living. Which also, it's also noted in the book. He he says to his sister, like, dad is fine with bee stings. I've seen him be stung by a bee before. Once we were both stung by a bee and nothing happened. So I don't know how allergies work, but yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't know how that whole thing played out, but anyway, the loss was really traumatic and Anthony gets it in his head that he's like, I'm going to die before 38. There's no way I'm going to live past that. Um, so enter quote unquote modern day, right? Ah, We fast forward to the actual modern day, which is 1814. Sisters Kate and Edwina are in London. Edwina is 17 which in historical romance books are pretty, that's a pretty common age for women to come out in society. Mm -hmm. Because if you think their first season or like the first year of them being out in society, they'll get married. They'll be like married by the time they're 18. And then Kate is described to be the ripe old age of 21. So I'm that's word. Like, because in the, I, in the I, show, she's 26. I have two different pains here. It's obviously worse because 21's not old. But then it's even more offensive for uh, Shonda and friends to be like, we got to make it in older than that. 21's not old enough. What if she's 26? Well, I think they realize that like 21 doesn't feel that old. But then you're on, you're sliding on the second half of your 20s, right? <laughs> 26 is also isn't old. No, it is not. As somebody who is currently 26, about Just to be 27, it is not. Um, and it's clear that the Sheffields are struggling financially after the dad died five years ago. So they're hoping to marry off both the girls. It's not necessarily just Edwina. Um, but it's also noted that, you know, Kate and Edwina are half sisters. Kate mother had di- Kate's mother had died and her father remarried to Mary, who mm-hmm. promised to treat her as a daughter she would have her own so going into the season like kate's approval for the men who want to court her sister is very important but the mm-hmm. difference between the show and the book is that technically kate is doing her season two she's just been cool. in the in the lineup for long enough that it's kind of like she's not like new sparkly everybody's <laughs> interested in seeing her right also there's no plot line where they came from india so Right. I do love that they bring in the Indian culture. I love that they did that in the show. And it makes sense because obviously the British were colonizers and colonized India. And so historically it makes sense. A little bit of a pain point, but okay. Um, So uh, also with the three Sheffield women is Kate's Corgi Newton, who is the icon of the season. He is the diamond of the first water. I cannot emphasize um, I would also, love to interject a quick fun fact about one of the corgis on the show that I read in one geez. of my Netflix articles. It The corgi was fine, but I, I believe I read yesterday that a corgi passed out once because he ate too many pebbles. Actually, I heard this too. I'm so glad you brought this up. 
Because like, imagine working with animals and you're like trying to think of all the insurance things that you need to go through for having an animal on set. And you're like, oh, pebbles, shit. There's there's not a whole lot you can do to stop a dog eating something it loves. And I know this from personal experience, but pebbles just really kills me. Yeah. Yeah. Pebbles. I'm not expecting Um, like plants in the garden. Sure. But pebbles. Um, Well, I'm glad that, you know, that Newton is okay. Thank you. Um, so before we get too much further, I just want to quick explain. Obviously, we've all heard of Lady Whistledown, who is an on- anonymous gossip writer and writes a lot about the Bridgertons. And so it's kind of widely known that the Bridgertons, Bridgerton boys, especially Anthony, have a slew of mistresses. They're kind of known as rakes or rogues, which is commonly used in historical fiction to describe. I don't want to say F boys because like these boys are more respectful than F boys, but they are kind of getting around town fuck boys of the day yeah and here's the thing they always make it more like tolerable in the sense that these boys are having affairs with widows and opera singers and not married women because like if you make him a cheater it's not gonna go well but if you make it widows and opera singers then it's fine yeah if your husband has died and or you sing opera it's totally fine yes and i will also disclose in the book there is no opera singer he has like a long-term affair with there's an opera singer that i'll bring up a little later but there's not like a scorned woman being involved so that is fiction um well it's all fiction i should say So Anthony decides he's facing down the barrel of 30 and he needs to get married to have children to pass the title to, but he's very cold about it because he believes that he won't even see his kids to adulthood, right? He thinks I'm not going to even grow old with these kids. I'm, I'm essentially going to give them my sperm and then we are going to say adios. Right. Um, So he just wants to find a wife who can bear him children and be good at the Viscountess title. And so he's kind of picky about, okay, she's got to be smart. She's got to be like well-mannered and all these things, but I don't want to fall in love with her. Absolutely not. Like he believes in true love. That's not the problem. He saw it with his parents right? and he's seen it with his sister and the Duke now, but Mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Because I will die so, so soon. Yes. So he has this mentality Mm -hmm. that we'll get into later that he's like, I don't want to love a woman and then leave her like my father left my mother. Right. And you just, he's watched the grief his mother went through and he's like, I'm not going to do that to a woman that I would love. So I need to just have a tolerable marriage for for when I die. (laughs) And so, yes. So the, the ladies are reading Edwina and Kate are reading about Anthony in Lady Whistledown. That's how they first kind of hear about him. And obviously. Capital R Rake. Capital R Rake. And Edwina is kind of known to be the incomparable of the season, which like they kind of mentioned the diamond of the season, but that's not as widely used of a term as it is in the show. So she's kind of the one to watch this season. And so Anthony kind of has his sights set on her. They go to a ball and Anthony dances with Edwina during which Kate and Mary talk about how Kate is practically a mother to Edwina. And obviously Kate is put off to like, does not want her around Anthony due to his rakish ways. Right. Yes. That makes sense. So 
Enter Colin. Colin is the third eldest brother of the Bridgertons, and he plays a really important role in the book because he's kind of like this sounding board, this kind of like mischievous, like side character that's just getting everybody in trouble. And I wish we had this so badly in the show because him and Kate kind of become friends. And so he like starts talking and says like, you know, Anthony, you can't have Edwina without Kate's approval okay, let me go talk to Kate. But then like Kate and him are just shooting the shit, having a good time. Amazing. Right. So then he's like, you know what, Kate, you should meet my brother. Like, let me, let me introduce you to him. And he completely sets Anthony up to fail with Kate. Like, oh, amazing. <laughs> he gives Anthony the completely wrong impression about Kate intentionally to watch him just suffer and burn. Oh. And so he's kind of playing this Cupid bow and arrow kind of moment of like, let me F with these two people just because I want to. It's chaotic. Wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Um, I like to call it a chaotic good, though. Yeah, I I mean, in the grand scheme of things, having seen the show, I think we could all agree it's a, it's a chaotic good at the end. Um, and this is where their enemies to lovers plot begins, because there's this wonderful line that I love. And it goes, quote, Anthony glared at his brother, then for good measure at Miss Sheffield, who was looking at him as if he just despoiled 10 virgins in her presence. <laughs> and the show watchers wished he had because there simply was not enough sex on there was the show. Not enough sex. Bring this, this man 10 virgins. Come this on. This is a very interesting uh, shift from how the enemies to lovers starts in the show. There yes. is a ball um, and the tension starts there, but what ends up happening is like all these dudes, including Anthony, are outside just talking shit. Uh, just about like ladies and, and just rude stuff. And Kate walks out and hears Anthony say that. So the reason that she hates Anthony is because she he or she hears him talk all of this shit outside of the ball um and then at that ball Edwina is named the diamond of the season and anthony swoops in to try and lock it down and kate's like i just heard you say a bunch of shit outside this can't stand let's yeah let's fight and fall in love yes and so in the book anthony comes to call on Edwina the next morning which is also done in the show Mm -hmm. um but he is forced to hang out with kate because Edwina is out with a suitor do you want to guess what suitor she is with because we do know him very well in the show oh Uh, but I don't remember any of the characters from the show because we watched it all in one day Sarah (laughs) sorry do you not rewatch Bridgerton like every three months like I do (laughs) Oh, I didn't. Well, it is Mr. Burbrook, um, which uh, is in the show. He's shown shown as like this sleazy, gross asshole, which in the books, he's a reoccurring character, but he is seen as kind of like an idiot, like, like kind of a annoying, lovable idiot. Um, Not necessarily like sleazy, gross, icky. Um, Like my dog, a lovable idiot. Yes, a lovable idiot. And so she is out on a little stroll with Burbrook. Burbrook. Anyway, it does not matter. She is out. So, of course, Kate is forced to have a conversation with Anthony. And Newton um, is there. And Mary is like, hey, you know what, Anthony? You should take uh, Kate out for a walk with Newton. You guys, like, so, like, almost Mary is in on this little Cupid. Everybody around them is kind of like, let me just force these people together for no apparent reason. Um, so they go on a walk and Newton all of a sudden starts sprinting and they lose grip of his leash and Newton sees 
Edwina over by the pond and he just body slams Edwina into the pond. The dog? Yes. This little how many pound corgi Corgi? body slams Edwina into the pond. And so Mm. then, of course, Burbrook is like, oh, I don't know what to do. And Anthony's like, go help her get out of the pond. And so the men get her out of the pond and they're all kind of wet and gross and cold. And so this is kind of do you want to tell what the scene is in the show yeah in in the show are all four of them together no it's like some other character they brought in remember there's like another guy that they brought in i remember very specifically the not anthony guy standing there and not knowing how to jump in double disclosure the points of reference that i pulled for the season for this discussion are almost exclusively Anthony and Kate centric. Love that. So (laughs) in the show, there's this moment where Kate is on a boat with this other character that is not in the book Mm -hmm. and they're having a conversation. Anthony sees this and gets jealous and comes over to kind of uh, help Kate out of the boat um, kind of intercepting this other guy. Yeah. And then I think Newt runs by and trips the two men and the two men fall in. And it's the notorious oh, scene of him having I remember that the white shirt and like yes, the women that's... being like, oh, this man be looking so fine. Here's what Hope did. Hope was looking at the scene visually and not remembering emotionally no. the purposes behind No it. one needs, we don't objectify in this podcast, but Jonathan Bailey with a white shirt in the water might not be a bad concept. Okay. I wish I could tell you that's why I'm wearing a white button up right now. That just is a coincidence though. Oh, you really came on theme today. Well, they, uh, they get out of the pond and like he, Anthony helps Edwina and then he starts yelling at Kate about her flipping dog. And then as a, like kind of a last F you to Anthony, she orders Newt Newton to shake and he like shakes all of his pond water off of, off on Anthony, which is great. Um, but then Anthony takes Edwina home and Kate is stuck with Burbrook. So then Edwina is sick after the whole pond incident because she has a cold and she can't go to the musical event at the Bridgertons a few days later. Yes. Sucks. Darn. You're going to realize that. Yeah. You're going to realize pretty quick that, Anthony and Edwina don't actually spend a lot of time together in the book. There's like virtually no time. And when they do, it's very brief. So we also find out that Anthony has had a very vivid sex dream about Kate and quote, it had been the most vivid erotic dream he had ever experienced and his worst nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've all had dreams like that. Look, it's our subconscious working in mysterious ways. Who am I to understand why I dreamed that thing? I'm not a brain psychology expert. I don't know anything about that. But Anthony goes on to flirt very publicly with the soprano singing at the event, like in front of everybody. And so uh, Kate gets annoyed by this and she ends up like hiding in an office space. She finds like, it's one of those things she hears people coming and she's like, I'm just going to duck into this room and goes into this office space well turns out those two people coming was anthony and the soprano and Uh turns out they're going to the office so then she realizes shit i need to actually hide hide oh no so she hides under his desk while they fuck wait no we're not there yet we're not there yet (laughs) we're not there yet did i write the book (laughs) (laughs) um shondaland uh you can contact her at uh say smut 
shonadinrodcast at gmail.com. You can write another episode, though. You have write okay. a really great episode. Yeah. Hit me up. So, my writing is impeccable. And so Anthony comes into the office and he's romancing this woman, right? And it's very clear they're going to get to some business. And in his mind, he's like, I need to F this girl out of my brain, right? I need to go sleep, you know, get over somebody else by getting under somebody yes. else concept. Not the first time a man has needed to F something out of someone for future details, uh, for full details, I should say, listen to yes. our first episode. <laughs> Please listen to our first episode. So at one point... Um, Kate is under the desk and Anthony is like, oh, she's so stuck in my head. I can even smell her. Like I can smell the lavender and soap. I'm sorry, not lavender, lilac and soap. Ooh, I, I can lilac. just smell it, which by the way, is such a call to that scene where she walks past him and he smells the air she was in, like on the show. He like smells the air and like Lady Danbury looks at him and is like, what the hell are Dude, you doing? No you freak. No one visually smells people in that way. We no all one, gonna, no one saw like, me just do that, but sniffs can hit the audio though was impeccable. <laughs> that like no one it's I can't fathom a world in which people walk around and do that. So it's just really bizarre to watch it on camera. So just, so he's smelling her and he like can, if he were to turn around in this situation, he would see her hiding under the, de the desk. Right. But then he's standing there at the decanter, pouring drinks for him and his lady friend. And he thinks, no, 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 that's way too present to be just like the thought of her. I can actually spell it. I want to think that he's like three feet away from her too. So it's not like he's right up in her business. Right. How are you smelling somebody that strong? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But then he like turns to his lady friend and is like, Hey, you know what? I thought about something. I need to do something right now. I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to leave. And Ooh. he, he, she's like, what, what? Okay, fine. I'll go. And then he, she walks out and he like, by the way, when he's like telling her she needs to leave, he's like lightly stepping on Kate's foot. And she's like lightly like messing with his leg to like, kind of get back at him. Like they're like, jokingly like fucking with each other so they, but they know that well obviously she knows he's there but he knows she he is spotted there her by sure. that point yeah okay he spotted her by that point i i would never smell a phantom smell and then be like wait it must be real and then immediately it's just a lot of yeah it's just him it's, it's just them screwing with each other like as yes. and so this woman leaves and like immediately they start arguing so um he kind of like tries to kind of call her bluff on like enjoying his company and gets up in his in her face to intimidate her but then oops he kisses her oh no shocker um he just I can't fell help with himself. my mouth first <laughs> I fell with my mouth on you sorry I hate um, when I do that and she is actually the one that pushes him away and calls him out on his rakish behavior yes. so they argue about him still wanting to call on Edwina after they kissed and she's like, you can't possibly call on my sister after you just kissed me. Right. And he says, you kissed me back. Not with gr any great enthusiasm, I'll admit. But that would just be a matter of time. <laughs> uh, like he, He's kind of like, you know what? I did kiss you. And guess what? I'm going to call on your sister and I'm still going to kiss you again. Well, then. <laughs> you okay. bush mouth half liked it. So there's this weird moment. They leave. And um, I would like at this time um, to ask you to explain what a Viscount is. Yes. This is my second report of the episode. This one, I have some more sources than just my memory and Netflix. Um, couple, just a couple. Uh, 
De Barrett's is the first one. It is a big, uh, basically like the place you go to if you want to know about British ranks and privileges and things. They like keep records of all that stuff. It's a huge database. It's very fancy. It's very British. And I also looked at some Encyclopedia Britannica because I was feeling in, in a theme. Um, Viscounts or Viscountesses or Viscountems, which I made up to be uh, a little more gender neutral. Love that. Whatever, whatever floats your boat, just felt necessary. Um, it is one of five ranks that there are in British nobility and peerage. Um, peerage, which I needed to look up in British Botanica because it was just a thing I had never heard of as I was already looking up something I didn't know a lot about. And that's just a body of peers or titled nobility. So just like a group of your peers around you who are also fancy and have titles. Um, so uh, Viscount is one of five of those um, in ascending order. All of those titles would go, you have a Baron and then you have a Viscount and then you have an Earl, a Marquise and a Duke. Um, Which is kind of crazy to me because I've yes. read so many historical romances at this point, And I feel like we hear about mm -hmm. Viscounts and obviously Dukes and Earls a lot. Yes. There's not very many times it's Barons or Marquis. Yes. And it's, uh, so there are those ranks in, in that order, but to note a person can have several of those titles and hold several of those peerages and they can be in different ranks. So you could be a, a Duke and also a Viscount of something and also a something of something else. It's, spoiler alert that the whole system is kind of nonsense <laughs> it sounds um, like it it sounds like it just was there <laughs> to um help white male egos yes among the things that, uh, that i did find while doing this research what i didn't find was what it very very specifically means if you are a viscount um the title began just to denote either the deputy or lieutenant of a count was a Viscount. It was just like, if you are my deputy, you get that title. Um, it also denoted sheriffs of counties. Sure. Um, the first recorded use of it in the British peerage was in 1440. Uh, king Henry VI, who at the time was king of both England and France, um, named Lord or John Lord Beaumont, the Viscount of both countries. So basically, France had a bunch of Viscounts and stuff, and uh, I think... England had a bunch of Viscounts and stuff. And since we had one king of both places, he decided to consolidate. And so one of the first ways he did that was to make this one Viscount of both locations. Eh. Um, it didn't really gain a lot of popularity until the 17th century. Yeah. So way later. And something to note that I think a lot of people get mixed up on is that if you have a title, you are a lord or lady. Whereas if you don't have a title, you are just um, miss or mister, which is why when we get to um, Colin's book, it's called Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. And that would be accurate because he doesn't have a title, right? right. He's not the Viscount. Right. Whereas um, in this book, she con constantly is referring to him as my lord mm -hmm. um, or Lord Bridgerton. Um, and so it's just important to kind of, know that difference and also in some of these historical romances they will have an actual surname that is different from the area that they are representing or like mm -hmm. they're like when we talk about an earldom or something it'll be an area that they represent so they'll be like the earl of such and such right and that will be how they're referred but they do have a real last name that's completely separate yeah totally um Absolutely correct. Viscounts, um, I'll, 
I don't know if all these titles kind of fluctuated in popularity in the same way, but this started in the uh, 1400s and then took decades and then it became way more popular in the 17th century. Um, when they made them in the 17th century, they did it under what is called the Great Seal of the Realm, which I swear is not a D&D reference and is I a real that. thing. It's it's basically just like the royal stamp. So uh, envision wanting to, finding a friend you like, wanting to give them a little bump uh, as the king, writing a nice note that says that they're you my know, account and stamping it. I would kind do that of. for you. Thank you. I would do that for you too. You could be my Viscount M or my Viscountess or my Viscount, whatever you want. We would do it for all of you. And you. that's what, <laughs> that's what we can contribute to this. I grant you my seal of the realm. <laughs> so as somebody with a title, typically you have a lot of different lands. You have a lot of different areas that you own. And one thing that the Bridgertons own um, is an ancestral home called Aubrey Hall. This is something they refer to a lot. Anthony grew up most of his life there. It's where him and his dad spent most of his time. Sometimes people will be like, oh, I love going to the country. And it's them going to Aubrey Hall, right? They're going to go to Kent and right. live in the country. So they do these things called house parties. Do you, do you know what a house party in terms of historical romance is? Well, so having seen the show... I can make a couple of guesses. What I envision very specifically is like for the time, a bunch of people coming over, maybe sitting around a piano, maybe someone will play a jaunty tune and everyone will sing some fun group songs. And then maybe they'll play some charades. Like in my head, step below a ball, but social gathering. So think of it as a big old sleepover for like maybe fun. up to a couple weeks. Like, Ooh. yeah, so some of these homes are just so massive, right? You could, True. you just hang out in this house together and you invite all, a bunch of friends and you always try and do it in a matchmaking way a lot of mm -hmm. times. So you have to say, we have to have an even number of eligible men and women, which is something that Mrs. Bridget, or sorry, Lady Bridgerton, um, his mother talks about is he had, she had to rile up a couple extra eligible men because the Sheffield women started to come. And so mm -hmm. they have this big old country gathering. Um, and honestly, in the book tense, it's an opportunity to force proximity between our characters and yes. get them into ornery situations where there are also bedrooms involved. Right. I, I don't, I don't hate this as a concept to maybe just do now. I love it. Um, it's honestly our reality shows like big brother or something when they stuff yes. a bunch of people in a house, like that is a house party. Is in, it a house party or is it bachelor in paradise? It is bachelor in paradise. Um, this is our spinoff bachelor in paradise podcast. Actually, We tricked you all. We tricked you all. Um, so they end up having this big house party and Anthony is walking in the gardens when he comes across Kate, they chat and he apologizes for the other night in his office. He was like, that was not gentlemanly of me. And Colin interrupts obviously of and course. colin's like hey you know what we should play we should play paul mal which i'm not sure if i'm saying that right that is like the um it's not croquet is it I'm it is so yeah sure. yeah yes, it's like it's, it's kind of like, like croquet it's a version of croquet mm -hmm. that the bridgerton's notoriously play and they get really competitive about it and it's kind of their own rules and so they play and there's this another lovely moment between Kate and Colin that we didn't get in the show. <sighs> and I just, I love their friendship so much. And so during this, um, also Kate and Daphne have a moment where they chat and it's really the only time Daphne shows up 
um, in reality of things. And so that's why I feel like they really forced this Daphne element um, because we had already met her character in the show and yes. they wanted to keep bringing her back when really they should have been pushing Colin and Eloise mm -hmm. because those are the two characters that are close to Kate in this even, show. Even without the or, context, sorry, in the book. even without the context of there being like kind of different roles, like Colin being more of the sounding board and Daphne not really being there, not knowing that that's how it is in the the book i always felt that the insertion of daphne in this story felt like something we were just doing because of the actress in season one and it was so sad because obviously reggae jean page did not come back and he should have and it, we were just missing his character the whole time now when they play paul mal uh mm -hmm. kate does take the black set which is dubbed the mallet of death and Amazing. anthony gets stuck with the pink set um and he ends up hit she ends up hitting his ball into the lake and she is dubbed the winner of the game. And he is the loser by Colin. Like Colin is like, you know what? Kate, love you. You're the winner. Uh, you suck, brother. You're the loser. All <laughs> right, let's go inside. <laughs> these aren't quite the rules. I've decided that you win and I hate my brother. Yes. Um, I don't want to uh, put a cart before our horse, but does anyone fall in the mud? So no, he, Anthony get like, takes off his shoes and goes into the water and like pulls it out because they keep losing oh, sets to the water. Cause people keep chucking their balls into the water. Um, so, and she comes back with a blanket to help him dry off and get warm. And wow. so there is kind of this really, there's this moment that you wonder if he's going to kiss her. Cause he has her up against a tree. Um, <laughs> oh, but instead he like kisses the inside of her wrist, like where her glove meets her, her sleeve, oh. which is something they do a lot in historical romances. I don't know why. Intimate? I don't know if it's kind of like, okay, they do a lot of hand kissing. So it's a little bit more intimate, but it's also socially appropriate. You know, it's not like you're kissing their neck or anything. It's right. more like this is a little salacious, but Right. still appropriate enough i wonder if it is a because there is a slight skin exposure it's like hot yes. it's, it's old timey hot yes absolutely like showing an ankle honestly currently hot if somebody <laughs> if somebody was like you know what i'll just... be confused when you do it but i won't be mad about it probably. i also think there's something about it being a pulse point which is also mm. like you can feel the pulse at that sure, right sure. which is something that in modern romances, they'll talk a lot about the neck and feeling the pulse underneath the mm. skin, right? So maybe that's an element. Anyway, so then uh, it should also be noted that Penelope and Kate are really good friends. It's oh. not explored a ton, but they she admits that they're both kind of outcasts because Kate is older, Penelope is a little bit of a wallflower, and they kind of hang out quite a bit. And obviously, we hear from Penelope, she hates what her mom puts her in, like all these... Mm -hmm. outlandish dresses with these bold colors also mm -hmm. if you were wondering uh cressida Cow cowder crowder whatever her last name was um is still a bitch in the books oh that's good to know <laughs> yeah and she's super mean to pen at the house party and then anthony sees this and then stands up for pen and like is like you know what mm -hmm. i'm gonna escort you into dinner tonight pen and everybody's like whoa that's not how the protocol goes <laughs> like as the lord of the Our house rules Yes, as the Lord of the house, he should be walking in the most important person of the party, which would likely be his mom or like somebody yeah. of really big importance, not Penelope. Mm -hmm. So he and then like Cressido points this out and he's like, are you really going to tell me how to run my house? Yeah. And she's like, mm, never Massage mind. Okay. For the win. 
we love toxic masculinity when it comes in our favor. (laughs) This one time we think it's pretty neat. So that night Kate can't sleep and she goes to the library and we find out that she hates thunderstorms so much so that she gets full blown anxiety attacks. So while she's in the library, it starts thundering really hard and she goes into full breakdown mode. Meanwhile, Anthony is walking around late at night, during which he, in his internal dialogue, he says the line, she's the bane of my existence and the object of all my desires. So unfortunately, he doesn't say it out loud, but I love that we got it in the show. So fun. Um, But he walks by and he notices a light in the library and he goes and finds Kate huddled under a desk, completely oblivious to the world around her because she's so anxious, which if you've ever had an anxiety attack... It is absolutely, everybody's is different, but it is absolutely terrible. But hers come with like a bout of amnesia. So she can barely remember like what's going on. So he gets under the desk with her and holds her through the storm and is like telling her it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. You're safe. And they both end up trauma dumping about their parents and their childhood, which why, why could we not have gotten this in the show? I do like it very much. In the show, it's just like this discreet moment where like they kind of have a little chit chat and she's like, oh, I don't like thunderstorms. Mm. <laughs> and then like walks away. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I want to see Jonathan Bailey getting on the floor, crawling under a desk and holding her. Oh, nothing would make me happier. Fascinating. It should also be noted that he does not disclose how his dad died and stuff in this conversation. So that's still a mystery. Good to know. So the next day they meet in the garden during which she, uh, she tells him that she has uh, withdrawn her objections to his pursuit of Edwina. She's like, you know what? Oh. You're not that bad of a guy. Mm-hmm. You would be good for her. Um, and by the way, again, he's barely spent any time with Edwina. And <laughs> right. Edwina like doesn't give two shits about him. Really, I, I pretty much forgot that she is here. I Sorry, Edwina. I'm sorry. But... She is not smitten with him. In the middle of this conversation, Kate gets stung by a bee and Anthony goes into full freak out mode. Mm -hmm. And like they're having this conversation, but he's also having an anxiety attack very clearly. And it stung her like on her neckline where the bodice kind of meets um, her skin. So it's like right along that edge. And he starts freaking out and he's trying to like aid the area that it's in and then he's like i need to get the venom out and she's like is there venom and he said there has to be something is killing you right because no one how- fact check this man because spoiler alert it just turns out he kind of doesn't know how bees work this is where he finally like says that's how he died that's how he died and you put it together yes. that his dad yes. died from a bee sting yes. and yes. So what does he do to get the venom out? He starts sucking on her boob and not in the kinky way. It's like, he is trying to suck out the venom. And it is like, it is like, she is freaking out. She's like, what in the actual hell are you doing here? (laughs) You are not going to motorboat me in the middle of this, (laughs) this garden right here. And what, who, a, what a line to deliver, though, to then try and motorboat someone. I have to get the venom out. I have to get the venom out. My dad died from this. <laughs> I hate that you made that noise. Nuts. I wasn't going to do it. And then you did it. It's an, it's an audio medium. 
Oh, I hate it. Okay, so who comes across them but Mary, Lady Bridgerton, and Miss Featherington. Um, and honestly, if it was just Mary and Lady Bridgerton, they probably could have just gotten by with it. But Featherington is a terrible gossip. So they were like, of course, we've got to get married. And Anthony's like, yeah, let's do it next week. And Aunt Kate is sitting there like, what the actual F is happening? So she what? keeps trying to say, I didn't even want him to do this. This is oh. ridiculous. This is so this different from the show. This is where the plot completely diverges. And by the way, this is a little over halfway through the book. So this is where like everything shifts. There is no proposal to Edwina. There's no wedding scene. There's no falling out of the sisters. In fact, Edwina even says that she's thrilled, overjoyed, and not even one tiny bit surprised. It's interesting. It's it's a little more similar to how things progress in the first season mm-hmm. with Daphne and with the Duke, where like they kind of get caught in a situation, and then there's this forced, well, you have to get married scenario. Yes, interesting. Yeah, in in the show, because I I took a couple of notes on this so that we could track it. Um, this is like the third episode is when when our B situation happens in yeah. an episode aptly named uh, "Be in Your Bonnet." <laughs> Be in your bosom is really what it should have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, face in your bosom and be in your bonnet. Um, so the the bee thing happens during there's like a confrontation, there's a dinner, and there's a moment where Anthony like seems like he's about to propose to Edwina, but then doesn't. And then Edwina is like, oh no, what's wrong with me? And gets a little sad. And Kate gets mad. So Kate goes to confront him outside of this dinner for having not proposed to Edwina. And then this B thing happens. And I don't, I don't remember if anybody walks in on that, but I have to assume no, because we'd completely divert from the, the plot that is, we all saw you motorboat and now you have to get married, which of course we all know is true about motorboating and marriage. Yeah. Motorboat and marriage go together. Peanut butter and jelly. So (laughs) we, so then he's like, you know what? This isn't actually half bad for me. I'm getting the girl I'm obsessed with, but I'm I'm a man and I can separate my emotions. I'm not going to fall in love with her. Yes. So he he goes to her house a couple days before they're supposed to get married. And he makes it clear. He's like, he doesn't want to be in love. He says, we are going to have a marriage of friendship and respect, which she's like, okay, dude. <laughs> she's gonna literally have a- like sure definitely not sexy fully loveless marriage no she she they they're very clear they can have sex it's just he's like he's like i'm not we're gonna have a friendship we're gonna have a good lovely marriage but it's not gonna be one of love and that kind of like hurts her because she's like i thought i'm already falling in love with him so this is a little dumb it was so hot when he stood on my foot and kind of treated me like shit yeah (laughs) but i guess we'll be friends she ch- kind of treated him like shit too. So I mean, what goes around comes around. Um, so don't worry. They start making out and like immediately when he kisses her, he pulls down the top of her dress Ooh. and just starts fondling her boobs. So oh. <laughs> um, that was a little weird, but it's fine. Um, so then there's a lovely sex talk between Mary and Kate the night before the wedding. We love sex education. Um, it's probably, I'm going to, here's a question for you. Is it wholly misguided or is it no. fairly real? Um, it's fairly real. It's like awkward, you know, and then like they had a farm or I think they were around farm animals and she's kind of like, yeah, like it's like, it's kind of like what farm animals do, but it's different. And so 
she kind of does Hot. what she needs to do. Right. And she explains like, right. She's like, well, will I have the experience he has? And she's like, not every time, to be honest. Like, you're not probably, like, she pretty much says, you're not going to get off every time. And Kate's like, that's not fair. And she's like, you're right. But he should be treating you well enough that you are you should try to be able to get there. Honestly, you know? progressive for the time period. This is supposed to be This is also written early 2000s. So, of course, we're going to have better representation yes, than we did in the 1800s. Certainly not factually accurate to the, the period. <laughs> So they have a wedding, obviously. And there's this weird moment after they get married where they are like coming home in the carriage or something. And he is adamant about like, I can't wait to get you to bed. And she's, he's like, you have the talk with your mom. Right. And she's like, yeah, but I, it's very clear. She's terrified. And well, yeah, <laughs> she's like, I think I need a week before oh. we have sex. And he's like, what the hell are you going to do with a week? <laughs> Like, Plus, she, from like a from a that time perspective, it was way more important to consummate a marriage way faster than yeah. That, and she, her her point being like, I I just need time to ready myself. And he's like making fun of her at this point of being like, what do you need to do to get ready? Like we are already super sexually attracted to each other. I'm not sure what you need to do to get ready. And so he's kind of poking fun at her, but he's also kind of getting annoyed, which I don't love. No. But he's getting annoyed because he's so obsessed with her, right? So at one point, she he's like walking her up the stairs and she's like shaking and he's like sees that she's scared and he's like, are you scared of me? Like, and he starts being devastated because he's like, hold on, hold on. I don't want you to be scared of me. I don't want us to have like a bad experience here. Right. So he does dial it back and redeem himself in that moment. That's good. And at one point he gets to his knees in front of her and begs her to tell him what she needs in order to stop being scared, which like, we love a humble man. We do. We do. You know, he did. I, it's I, a move. I was reading it and I was like, Oh, I don't like, Oh, okay. You know, like mm -hmm. this turned around and she says, just love me, which then he's like, I can do that kind of. Like, well, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna die real soon. I'm gonna die, but I'm not gonna love you. But I can love you. Uh -huh. Um, and so he, okay. So then they go into the sex scene, and when he takes off her gloves, she has the wedding ring over her glove, right? Like that's how they wore it. So right. he takes off the wedding rings because there's two of them, and he puts them between her boobs. Not but sure why, why it happened. Not sure why. I'm going to let you know right now. There's a lot of things I don't know why they happen in this sex scene. Amazing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So he takes off the gloves, you know, really erotic. And then he sucks Hot. her pinky. Oh, interesting. A surprising move. Not what a I surprising move. Um, And then, I, again, I'm not sure why. But I would love it if we didn't refer to body parts as womanhood or manhood. Hmm. That would be great. What I do love in historical romance is they're pretty true to the time of people having pubic hair. Nice. Um, they don't necessarily yeah. address it in this one, but she has addressed it in her other ones. And many people do address it in historical romance because that was not the trend at the time um, right. to obviously be sculpted or anything down there. Um, so love that. Also, I also love that. Right before he enters her, he says, quote, I'm going to make you mine now. Hate oh. that. I mean, I can tell you right now. I don't. I don't love the possess. Here's, it's just this is just a, a opinion that I have, which is that not every man needs like a tagline that he says before, 
not any person period in any of these books. No one needs to have like a fun, wacky catchphrase pre-coitus. I don't understand why that is. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest. We're going to have a moment of um, safety here. In my books and in my books alone, I love a possessive man. Sure. Um, that, no problem with that. That's fine. But I'm also like, do it with grace and dignity. Like, there's, it's just like, there, this was not it. Is what I'm I just say. specifically don't need an intro line like, here comes the goods, or like, I think in the time scene to go to was, Pound Town. I think in the scene he was trying to like let her know what he was doing when he was like trying to kind of ease her into it. Yes, that but is then good. he he very like he's very gentle about trying to get inside her and adjust, right? Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. when he gets inside her. And they kind of like sit there for a second. She asks, are we done? <laughs> Relatable. Honestly, <laughs> every woman in the world just was like, oh, girl, I get it. Many, many people who experience penetrative sex can probably relate to that in some degree or another. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so then he's like, okay, no, obviously we're not done. Um, and then he's like trying to tell her to relax. Cause it's very clear. She's freaking out in her head. Yes. And, and also women love nothing more than to be told to relax by men. And she's like, I am relaxed. And he's like, you are not relaxed. So what does he do to help alleviate this? He tickles her. Oh, uh, which I completely opposite of what you would want from me, which is even more tension. <laughs> I hate that anyway. But then he goes to pound town, which good for them. apparently works. Whatever um, works and for at you, one, man. at one moment he calls her beautiful and she doesn't believe him. And she asks, who do you think of when you make love to me? And like, she's convinced that because her sister has been so beautiful her, their whole life that like no one would want to be. They see her as beautiful. So she right. even asks him, do you think of Edwina when you're in bed with me? Which like, again, then she starts crying, which this is all happening while he's inside her. This is a lot. Also, this is the first time that they have had sex. And so a wild question to ask somebody in general is, is that like, you've, you've only had sex this couple of seconds. <laughs> no, you probably absolutely. have time to think period. <laughs> and he gives her this whole lecture about like, I am literally so obsessed with you and I am so into you and I find you so beautiful. And fun fact, Anthony is actually the one that says the line, I burn for you, which oh. is something that is the notorious thing said in season one by uh, Simon in the show. Yep. Um, so it's really funny though. Cause at the end of the chapter, when they're both finished having sex, um, she, she turns to him and says, are we done yet? <laughs> Which I love that they just like fuck with each other all the time and it's there's never an opportunity not to do it right yes in the show so again there's a lot of story that happens in the show that we've said does not happen in this book and so part of that and we're, we'll get into the, the like one sex of the whole show is that Kate's family and the Bridgertons have to throw a ball. We kind of talked about this before to make up for uh, scandal. The scandal being, I think, the bracelet dropping at the. So, yes, to backtrack in the show, there is an engagement to Edwina. There is a whole episode of planning the wedding to Edwina. And there is the wedding episode. And uh, as Sarah had said before, during the wedding, Kate and Anthony keep staring at each other a little bit. And then Kate's bracelet 
like breaks off or falls off and Anthony goes and gets it. And everyone's like, Oh, a scandalo. Oh no. Um, not the bracelet, which is who even has time for it. That makes no sense. Um, to make up for that scandal, these two families have to have a ball. And then nobody comes to that ball for wholly unrelated reasons that I'm also not going to get into. Um, after this ball, these two fuck in a gazebo because why? Because we need structures for romance. See episode one of our podcast for details, but they fuck in a gazebo. In a, in Look, a gazebo. I, I would for a gazebo. I would for a gazebo. Yes. I and I won't. A lot of crazy things happen in the immediate aftermath of their having sex. So I'm going to stop there because I don't know if these things do happen in the book or absolutely don't happen in the book. Well, let's let's round out the end of our our yes. book. Um, so they continue married life. They're having lots of sex. They're having lots of fun outside of the bedroom. But Anthony is convinced. He's like, I'm having the best life, but I need to keep myself in check because I don't want to fall in love with her. Right. Huh. Um, meanwhile, him and Edwina are Edwina are having like sibling lovely moments right oh, like nice. they are becoming brother and sister while she's finding a husband and there's like a guy she's really into and she's like you know what he looks like a good suitor and anthony's like let me help you with a dowry let me meet the guy like let let us kind of vet him and mm -hmm. so it's a really lovely moment um so then there's another night where there's thunderstorms she has an anxiety attack obviously she has her amnesia and she doesn't remember what's going on but she started calling out mama during this anxiety attack. Oh. And so Anthony's like, let's go to Mary and ask her what's going on. And when they go, they find out from Mary that her mom died. Sorry. Kate's biological mother died during a storm mm -hmm. and Kate witnessed it. And it was like, oh. she was like in the throes of a really bad, like fever or whatever. And um, it was really traumatic, but there was a whole thunderstorm when it would happen. Yes. So but unrelated Kate, to the cause of death, right? She wasn't like struck by lightning. No, she wasn't struck by lightning. There was like a tree nearby that got struck by lightning outside the window or something. But Pure coincidence. That's yes, good to know. It's Thunderstorms are like, fatal for the audience, but I just wanted yes. to confirm that that was not her cause of death. No, it was like some illness, but she had witnessed some like really crazy shit that night. And then her mom actually died that night. So... After this profound realization, um, Kate is like, I, I think I can overcome this thing, like whatever this whole anxiety thing is. And she's like confiding in Anthony and Anthony has this moment of being like slightly jealous that Kate can overcome this, but he can't overcome his shit. And he also then admits he's like, I'm in love with her and she's able to like, like go with this and like figure this out and I'm stuck. And so this terrifies him. And he realizes he's like, I don't want to leave her w when I die. Right. <laughs> right. And so they obviously what happens after you trauma dump, you go home and have sex. Obviously. So when they're done having sex mm -hmm. or during which she makes a comment to him about like what, like anticipating their lives together. She's like, I something not like grow old together, but something along the lines of like our future. Right. right. And this like triggers something in him and he pulls on his clothes, runs out the bedroom and goes to his mama's house, which all right. <laughs> sounds weirder than it is. Because if you think about it, the house that the Bridgersons live in, like the formal house mm -hmm. is actually his house. He just lets his mom live there. Cause she's obviously the dowager right. and right. Um, his younger siblings, because they're still in the age of that. And he will, he and Kate said earlier in the book, they're going to move into that house, but 
for early marriage reasons of privacy, they're going to live in his apartment. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Hope just made the circle hand finger in the circle mo- motion. You, you gotta not live with your family when you're trying yes. to fuck immediately after your marriage. So Anthony runs to his mama's house, his house, and he gets really drunk and he's sitting in his office freaking out about the whole thing. Eloise sends Kate a message that her husband's being a dumbass and she gets there and is like what the hell's going on and he's like not making sense and she's like i need you to talk to me and uh, he dismisses her and is like you need to leave you need to leave enter colin and benedict who come knock some sense into anthony which really took like a page and a half for them to knock sense into him after 300 pages of him being an idiot about death right. um <laughs> and really anthony comes to the realization that everybody dies and he needs to just enjoy life shocker which really it is absolutely true and it really comes down to he's like you know what kate is my world right now and i want to be able to enjoy her and be with her so he runs home and finds out that kate is out on a ride with one the one of the men that's trying to court edwina he she's like going and meeting this guy for edwina right so he runs out to try and catch up with her, runs into Lady Danbury, and they like she's shooting the shit with him. And he's like, I don't got time for this. And they both watch this open air carriage, like this open top carriage, mm-hmm. come speeding around the bend. And you hear a woman scream and a dog bark, and the carriage crashes. Oh no. And you can probably guess that was obviously our girl Kate with newton in the carriage and i believe newton's fine by the way if anybody's worried about the dog i think he's okay um me specifically is always going to be worried about the dog does the dog die.com is yes my lifeline cannot Um, emphasize enough how great that website is yes um we will make it clear obviously in the content warnings if that's ever the case here um but of course kate is in the carriage and he thinks he just watched her die right right just pile on the trauma for this man um so she is trapped under the carriage and she's unconscious when he finds her and he finally gets her out of the carriage and so of course he gives like this shakespearean speech about like you can't die on me i can't lose you and he you keep saying this line that's like it was always supposed to be me like i was i was supposed to die first (laughs) i was supposed to die in the carriage i was supposed to die by the bee's hands um (laughs) And I just imagine this bee with this knife. <laughs> like, just I'm coming for you too. Fully ready to kill you. Bee's like got poison. Like, bee's got, got a plan. Dad. I've got you too. Anyway, she literally looks up at him and is like, what the devil are you talking about? That's a direct quote, by the way. Turns out she's pretty much fine. She's got like a broken ankle or something. Nothing fatal. But while she's recovering, there's like an entire chapter of him dumping his insecurities about his father dying Mm -hmm. um and she's like i appreciate when i'm recovering from bodily trauma due to a carriage accident that you're just going off with your trauma dump and she's like you just you just gotta live each day like it's your last you know yolo this shit live like you were dying what (laughs) live like you're dying Oh, I, I thought that was obvious by my oh, good good sorry thing. well okay so then this is like our happily ever after right they're fine but the yeah. epilogue is my favorite part because um it's set on anthony's 39th birthday so now he has outlived his father and so they're kind of reflecting on their lives and being like immediately dies the end no 
Oh, I'm kidding. The bee kidding. came for him. The bee was like lurking. <laughs> the bee came with two friends and more knives. <laughs> the bee was like, you know what? I did you a favor, you know? I like gave some for you some... now it's time to it's this, is me, this is me trying to do my godfather voice. I did you a favor. <laughs> You can tell oh, why I'm not a voice wow. actor. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, so here's my last little fun fact is that they end up having four children. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have four children and then three of them were kind of in a row. And then the fourth one was a surprise, which is why in the last episode, Anthony asks her how many fingers he's holding up and he holds up three. And then she gives him a look and he, he turns it around and says four. So it's kind of like a call. I love that. I love that little fun fact. Would not have picked that up having not written No, this no. So it's just kind of a little throw in there. So incredible. I am thrilled to pick up my last piece of my research, which is reminding the world if you didn't, if you did see the season and telling you if you didn't what happens in the show, which is I think funnier than what you've just told me. So as stated, there's a we, we have gazebo sex. Everyone's thrilled about it. After they have gazebo sex, Kate goes on. I think it's a more fra- I remember it being a more frantic horse ride. Yes. Uh, like she just kind of like runs away. And, and there's a thunderstorm happening. Like sure. there's like a storm. Yes. And, and full stop, the horse rears back and she falls off and knocks her head on a rock and like f- truly almost dies. She like, she honestly should have died in that scene. Is There's un- no way. unconscious for an extended period of time. Um, but then in the last episode, she's not dead and they dance together at a ball and uh, love each other openly. And the queen comes out to say like, it's uh, because again, they're, is in the show a full wedding that's supposed to have happened with Edwina. The queen comes out to say, I called that wedding off. It was totally on purpose. And this was my idea. And uh, that's pretty much how that ends. The queen is so not a role in any of the books. I want you to know. No, I um, like her. I mean, I, I love I her, character. her character and her and the actress as well. But that is very funny. She just like does not ex- exist in this book nearly as much. So to round us out, um, I am going to send you Hope. Yes. Um, the original. Well, I think it's the original. I hope so. Um, I don't have my physical book with me. Um, so I'm going to show you the original uh, cover here. Um, there's been obviously more than one cover made especially since the show has come out yes. but this is the cover i have at least Ooh, this is very exciting for me so my uh my nana my mom's mom uh worked at a library for a very long time and amassed a huge collection of books and so in my childhood memory ingrained um in the room we would stay at my nana and pops's house she had this bookshelf of almost exclusively like old school style yes. 80s 90s romance novels fabio looking dudes billowy shirts incredible yes so this is great the cover that's share or sarah has shared with me shara that's what it's shara. called when you give me things. this is the moment the shara moment the moment that shara sarah when shares. sarah shared um cover is all kinds of red um not a human being to be found on this cover but we've got some very billowy drapey curtains red velvet for those uh red 
rug on the ground of a red floor. I think I can see the corner of a red bed in the background and in the forefront what appears to be a really incredible golden sword. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing about this that makes any sense to the book, which upsets me deeply. It also, just for additional context, so it is its full original, uh, Julia Quinn, The Viscount Who Loved Me, a Bridgerton novel, and then on this copy, big old Netflix sticker to let you know Netflix that it's also sticker. a show. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'll say that uh, Julia Quinn, I love that in all of her books, she has such name recognition that her name can be bigger than the font of, is, the, yes. of the title, which is insane to me. Yes. Imagine in your head, small font at the top saying number one or no, yeah, number one New York Times bestselling author. Under that, Julia Quinn in truly massive font. And then under that, smaller than her name, The Viscount Who Loved Me. And then under that, even smaller, a Bridgerton novel. <laughs> okay, so now with that said, what we're going to do our our score breakdown, which yes. for we're going to start with diversity. And for diversity, I'm getting giving it a middle cut of a three because there's no diversity in the book. But in the no. show, obviously, a lot more diversity um, so I gave it a three to cut down the middle. What are you giving it? Yes, I am not going to do the book a solid because I am rating the book purely uh, based on what you have told me. And so obviously, good old one on the diversity scale. But right. yes, do acknowledge the season is far more diverse. <laughs> All right. And what are you going to give the plot? Plot? I enjoy the plot. It's, it is a little difficult to separate show plot to book plot. Um, I... I don't know which one I prefer, if I'm being honest. But overall, I, I'll give that a four. I, okay. So either way, be it a full proposal and then wedding and then wedding fallout in the show. I think I probably like the book version better, to be honest with you. Um, um, four is either way. I I gave it a 4.5 because I do I do think this is one of the more solid plots. And mm -hmm. I just love the – I think Julia Quinn does a great job with banter. That's like so, a sweet spot for me as a reader. Um, <laughs> sorry guys, oh, unavoidable. My, one of my dogs, there's, it's thundering outside and she's going to lose her mind. There's nothing um, I can do. So let's wrap this up. Uh, let's smut, wrap it right up. Smut meter. I'm giving it a three just because it does have fairly descriptive smut and there's more than one smut scene technically. Yeah. So I did, I was going to give it a two, but I gave it a three. What are you um, giving it? I'll give it I'll give it a three. It's most certainly just even in our discussion had more smut than the show. So more points to you for that. Can't what, believe how watered down it was for the show. And I'm going to give the cover a two because I've seen worse covers. I've seen one star covers, but this one literally has nothing going on. I will only give it the two because it is discreet and there's not a shirtless person on it. And I would love to read it in public. Right. I uh, have no concerns for whether yeah, this this will not reveal to you any sort of sexiness that's happening within its pages. It is truly one of uh, I'm absolutely judging this book by its cover. I also would give it like a two because it's not very exciting. OK, um, I'm going to tally up your score here. Yes. You have given it a 50%, um, which 50. is... It really doesn't... I, I will say that our, our totaling isn't giving it a whole lot of justice. Uh, yeah, and I got six... I had 62.5%. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I gave it originally four out of five stars. Um, what is your last what the smut moment? I... I hmm. I have a couple of what the smuts. One is story specific and one is just like overarch general. Story okay. specific, obviously 
is trying to suck the the bee venom out. Yes, that is mine as well. I I get it because that would be how you would do that, but it's also just it's a lot. Um, the second is more like big story overall is the complete departure book to show of uh in the book being like we caught you two motorboating <laughs> in private, so now you have to get married, and then fully differently in the show being like. We're going to have a whole different relationship with a whole yes. wedding and a whole engagement, which knowing what happens in the first season of the show, I think that makes complete sense. You'd yeah. essentially be repeating the same plot, both shows, but it is just such a departure. I absolutely agree. Um, there are moments I wish we had like the under the desk moment. I wish mm-hmm. we had um, the moment where she's caught under his desk. Um, I wish we had the moment, obviously, of her getting her tits sucked. Uh, <laughs> we all wanted the tits sucking. Uh, it Just wouldn't be wish. my my what the smut moment if it had happened in the show and it was hotter, but it did um, weird all the way around. Again, I thought, I mean, I know that on TV they're gonna make everything like really sensual and like sex sells, but the relatability of them having banter in these kind of funny moments of like, is it done? Like during sex, <laughs> like these less glamorous moments of yes. sex. I love that because it's so much real, right? Like it's so much yeah. more real than this. So anyway, Hey, that was our episode. We tried to keep it under, but we, we did our best. It's just, there's so much to talk about and we'll never apologize. I, I can't, I can't apologize. Um, But Hey, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us for a little sultry fun. Yes. All right. Goodbye. Bye.